welcome. It's wonderful to have you all here with us. Well, I'm excited to announce that we have a brand new course out featuring Todd Edmund, Acellus World History. Let's take a look. Welcome to Planet Earth. Do you ever wonder how we got to where we are today? And if the Earth could actually talk to us, what it would tell us? Not just about the planet itself, but about the human beings on the planet. In this course, we're gonna look at world history and the history of people interacting with planet Earth. We're going to start with the dawn of civilization, beginning with the Stone Age, when you had Neanderthals roaming the Earth, living in caves, searching. Coming to a learning accelerator near you. <laughs> All right, it's an amazing course, and I want to congratulate uh, all the team on their hard work on uh, putting this out. Uh, it's, it's going to be a really amazing thing to go through. So, All right, it's time to turn the time over to Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. What if light could move mountains? That's not what we're going to talk about. Well, maybe it is. <laughs> we're going to talk about some neat technology that researchers from the University of Chicago have been doing where they're using light to actually move particles. In fact, they were able to make self-assembling machines with light. And uh, usually when you think of light, you think of you know maybe making electricity with solar panels or something, but they're actually moving particles. Pretty amazing stuff. Let's take a closer look. I want to start by telling you about their laser. It's not a normal laser because uh, it's, you know how light is a wave, right? Well, if you make the wave smaller, you get a different color of light and things like that. Well, most of the time, the light isn't polarized. It goes every which way, you know? But if you have a laser, the light is polarized, so all of the photons go up and down together. Well, their laser is actually circularly polarized. So they're all going together, but they're also turning. If you look at this video, you can see uh, an example. You can see the light wave going up and down, but it's also rotating. And so it makes a really unusual light pattern. So they have a special uh, laser like that and they're shooting these particles and if you look at these particles um, this is kind of showing what they did and on the left is a mechanical system something that you could make with gears and you turn the gear in the center and it makes the little gear go around the other direction well with their little machine that self-assembled when they shine their circularly polarized laser, then those little particles pull together into the shape and start turning. And they cause the outer particle to go around in the opposite direction. Now, if you look at this diagram, one of the really strange things, at least to me, was that the machine, as they call it, actually rotates in the opposite direction of their polarized light. It's pretty strange stuff. But in order to envision what's going on, you've got to understand how big those particles are. They actually used nanoparticles of silver that were 150 nanometers across. Remember, a nanometer is a billionth of a meter. It's about 
smaller than that. <laughs> it's really, really teensy. I've been trying to figure out how to describe a nanometer. Uh, but if you were to take a human hair, you know, we all have those. Well, most of us had those. And you zoomed way in, and you made that hair bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger so you could see it. And then you cut it into 100 pieces, took one of those pieces, shrunk it back down. That's how big one of these particles would be. So that's really, really teensy tiny, And it's so small that it's actually smaller than a wave of light. The light that they were using was about 600 nanometers across. And so these particles are about one quarter the size of that wave. So that kind of explains how this interaction is going on. And the particles are actually held together by the light, which is really different than, say, uh, by uh, normal chemical bonds or something like that. So let's take a look at their simulation of what's going on. And again, it's trying to make this machine where the inner ring turns and the other one goes around. And uh, if you watch this, you can see how it's not perfect motion like you would expect with a mechanical system, right? But you can tell that the inner circle is turning one way and the other one's turning the other way. And it, it's kind of a little bit random because there's, remember, Brownian motion going on here at this scale, <laughs> really teensy. So this is their simulation. Now I want to show you what they saw in the microscope with their actual system. And again, you can see it turning and the particle going around. The amazing part about this is their ability to, to control things that tiny. Remember, a hundredth of a human hair? Imagine trying to pick one of those up with tweezers. The tweezers would be gigantic, wouldn't they? It would just completely ruin the whole system. So this technology opens up some possibilities for things that are really, really teensy working with these nanoparticles, maybe sorting them and moving them in different ways. There are some interesting applications at the very, very small scale. Now the researchers are working on building on this work and actually having multiple gears like this working together in a more complex machine and doing more things. And they're trying different materials, not just the silver nanoparticles, but different things. But uh, it's pretty amazing that they're actually manipulating things and controlling things with just light. And who says light can't move mountains, right? <laughs> That's all the tech we have the time for. All right, now it's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. I know some of you guys are like, is Tobias trying to look smart? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, okay? Um, well, actually, no, I'm really excited because tonight we're going to talk about one of your superpowers. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, yeah, um, your ability to see, okay? And that, that's something we take for granted. You know, we just kind of, I mean, we use it every now and then um, in our life, but it's something that's really incredible. Not just the fact that we can see, but the fact that we can see so well. I mean, they're trying to make movies higher and higher definition because our eyes can handle more resolution than the movie. And that's pretty incredible. And we can focus on things. We can change our focus. It's neat stuff that our eyes can do. Well, 
I want to talk tonight about the, the breakthrough of being able to heal eyes and being able to fix eyes or problems with the eye because that's something that mankind has always, you know, had, at least as far back as we know about, where certain things happen where somebody has maybe some blurry vision or some problems with their sight, and how do you fix that? So we need to talk first about the eye. So here's a diagram of the eye, and that, that part at the front, right where the light's coming in, the cornea, okay, that's the kind of the bulge at the front of your eye, and we need to learn that. And then also there's that lens point at the, the back of the cornea, and then, of course, it goes across the eyeball to the back, and that's where it's focused to, okay? So if you have some, some focus issues, then it might be that one of those pieces isn't focusing right. It's like a camera that has a lens that's focused wrong, okay? Now, our story goes to the 1970s when this doctor, and there's multiple ways to say his name. <clears throat> I'm going to come up with one of them, Dr. Fyodorov, okay? He's Russian, and he has a patient, a little boy, who was very nearsighted. Okay, he had to wear some very powerful glasses, and even then he had a hard time being able to see clearly. Well, he was in an accident, this little boy, and th from the accident, it got little glass shards in his eye. Okay, pretty intense. Now, the good news is they were able to, it wasn't too serious that they couldn't get everything out and get his eye fixed. So this doctor was able to get all the glass out, and of course they had to patch him up and let him get better. But after the boy got better, he told his doctor that he could see better. In fact, it was like he wasn't really nearsighted anymore. And this really caught the attention of the doctor. Wait a minute, so you're actually, you don't need those glasses like you did? And he looked into it more and started to research and realized something about those glass shards that, and please don't put glass in your eyes, um, something about those glass shards did something to his eye, and it fixed it in a way. Now, he researched this and put out some, he published his research, and two American scientists would eventually take that research and go further with it. And they started looking at a new way to repair eyes. And actually, it wasn't new in the sense that about 20 to 30 years before this, there was another scientist yeah, this gets a little bit intense. Do not try this at home or anywhere, okay? Um, but this doctor was very determined to figure out why some eyes were blurry, saw blurry vision. And he decided that the cornea, okay, so I have this model, okay? There's my model. This is a dragonfly paperweight. It's got a dragonfly inside, very cool, okay? You don't have dragonflies in your eyes, but this is the cornea we're gonna pretend. It'd be very cool if you did, okay? You'd be the next Marvel superhero. Dragonfly Man, <laughs> featuring Keanu Reeves. Whoa, dude. But, okay, so <laughs> ignore the dragonfly. But imagine that this is that bulge at the very front, okay? And the light's coming through this bulge, okay? If this bulge, he discovered, was too bulged or not bulged enough or maybe even disproportionately bulged, so one side was bulging more than the other, then the light that traveled through it and went through the lens and then through your retina would start to have focus issues. And he realized that a big majority of blurry vision was caused by that cornea, this part at the front of the eye, not being the right shape. So what he did, I don't know who he did this to, I don't know if they lost a bed or they, anyway, he removed the lens piece, the cornea, from someone's eye, 
and we're gonna, and he froze it, and then he sanded it really carefully, and he defrosted it and put it back on, and it worked. Yeah, so we're not gonna talk more about that, okay? <laughs> Apparently it wasn't too popular. It wasn't like, my turn, <laughs> I'll try. Okay, that didn't go very well. But the fact that he was right, that that was the thing that was causing this blurry vision. And so years later, when this discovery was made where this little boy had had these glass shards in his eye and they removed them, it turned out those glass shards actually trimmed his eye cornea. And then, of course, the magic of the body healed that eye, which is the same thing that made that first frozen eye a success really was the magic of the body being able to heal it and put it back together. So they started doing experiments with this and actually started to learn how you could trim that cornea to be the right, the, the right bulge or adjust it to focus the sight, focus the view. And this has progressed and progressed and not just, you know, for people who don't want to wear glasses. I mean, glasses are pretty cool, you know. I mean, they can help you see. I don't know if you realize this. I realized this a couple weeks ago. They actually give you, like, another set of eyebrows, you know, for emphasis. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was ordering food uh, at the China restaurant, and the, the China manual had the glasses behind you to take my order. I'm like, oh, can I get three orders of Rangoon? He's like, three order? I'm like, don't you judge me, brother, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I might have 20 kids at home. You don't know. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot of emphasis power you've got. Anyway, but glasses, not just for people who maybe don't want to wear glasses, but in some cases there's people with sight, blurry vision, that can't see even with glasses. They have a hard time. And some people who even are becoming blind because of issues that they have. And uh, the other, another common one is cataracts. And all of a sudden it opened up this, this new area of, very precise, very careful surgery to be able to fix vision. And they uh, initially they used very, very sharp tools to do that, and that sounds pretty intense. Do not try that ever until you're a certified doctor and all that great stuff. But they, they, you've got to be really tender. And now what would be better than a really, really sharp knife? Well, they eventually used lasers. And lasers, now you can use light and not actually have to touch and use a blade on that eye. You can actually use light. And we get more and more advanced in lasers until now we're doing much, much more advanced thing. Uh, it's, there is still a risk with it. And some people you know, are, are very concerned about that there is a risk. It's been about 20 million uh, people in America that have had this kind of surgery now where their eyes were fixed by this. And it's over a 95% success rate. And there are a few cases where it didn't work out and now th their, their sight can even be damaged more. So it's something that we're still learning about, but um, there's a gentleman in South Asia who provides surgery free to a lot of the elderly people down there where the largest percentage of blindness from cataracts is from. And he actually does surgeries on that. He's done surgeries on over 100,000 people to change their blindness into being able to see through surgery on the eye very, very carefully. And now there's a kind of a new window opened into this with femto lasers. And basically, instead of a laser, just a laser, they pulse it. Only they pulse it really fast. Like, 
If this is a second, if you take a second and you cut it up into a billion pieces, and then you take one of those little, you gotta get tweezers, one of those little billionths of a second, okay, and then cut that into a million pieces and take one of those. They can pulse this laser at a, a few hundred femtoseconds. And that is incredible. And what that does is, I mean, okay, don't take this wrong, but if, if you're carving with one of those uh, wood pens and you're burning into the wood, okay, you're burning the wood, making that dent, and what are you doing to the stuff around it? Not good stuff, it's turning black. Same with, you know, if you have a hot laser, you might injure the parts of flesh around the part you're trying to trim. Well, with this femto laser, they can pulse it so carefully that they only trim the pieces they want to remove, and it doesn't thermally damage any of the left remaining eye, which is pretty incredible. So this just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, to the point of now people who were blind are able to see because of surgical breakthroughs. So, and you know, you can still wear glasses because you never know when there's a three order ranger. So, <laughs> all right, thank you. All right, and now introducing Roger Billings. And here she is. <laughs> da -da, da -da, da -da. I ride my lasers. Right. It looks like lasers. I mean, they're cool. Do you know, I, I heard this week about alien tape. Oh, yeah? Yeah, alien tape. Have you seen that? It's, it's being advertised, and it's, it's tape. And you cut off a piece, you stick it on your wall, and then you can put up bricks or pictures or whatever. And it just oh. sticks. And then when you want to move it, you just take it off, wash it, and you can use it again. No evidence the aliens were there? Hmm. <laughs> I wasn't going there with it. <laughs> oh, I did. You know, um, it's good to have everybody with us today, and I think we're going to have an exciting time. We've got some neat stuff to look at. Looks like. And we're going to finish this series of experiments we've been doing, getting excited about sound and science and so forth. But uh, last week, I was reading through a lot of the comments come in, and did you notice we're getting a lot more comments? Yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> <laughs> Whew. And there's a lot of good ideas. Uh, thank you for the suggestions. Keep them coming. And especially, uh, I'm interested in the people that are telling me about what you like to do when we're having our discussions. And some of them said they like it when we go on tours. Yeah, they like to see things. Yeah, they like, they like to, to see, see things, things with yes. their eyes, right? Yep, with their eyes. In high resolution. Yeah. So I just want to put Tobias on notice that uh, Dr. Peje Monet and I are planning a tour of the second floor yeah. video production studio, okay? So clean it up. <laughs> but really, if you've watched a, a course in a cellus and you see the teacher there, that all happens down on the second floor. And I think it'd be really fun to go down and see it. We're very, very proud of the video production studios here at the International mm -hmm. Academy of Science. Someone made a, a comment on social media that we just buy our lessons. <laughs> and I thought, hmm. Because no one could film that many courses. That's true, though. 
And I thought, you know, that's right. Because we do film a lot of courses. We and we not only film them, then we film them again and again. Right. We keep updating them and it's a constant process. And every single time we, we film another video, we try to make it better than any we've done before. Uh, have we done any filming today? Oh yes, we got some teachers here that have been filming today. We film and we film and we film. And I think they'd like to see it. They'd I also too. like to see the equipment. Yeah. Uh, Black Magic. Black Magic is a company, a brand, made down in Australia mm -hmm. by the Australians. <laughs> but they make amazing cameras. Uh, as far as we can tell, some of the very best video production cameras available today. And then, have any of you heard of a guy named Leonardo da Vinci? Mm -hmm. He and I were born the same year, only not ready, oh, yeah? 500 years apart. They're but both polymaths. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci did a lot of amazing things. Well, the Black Magic Company has developed some editing software to take out the little bloops, you know, where the teacher, <clears throat> the teachers don't bloop. Oh, but I mean, do. if they ever did, <laughs> they we do. can edit it out before we show it to all the students. Mm -hmm. And the uh, equipment or the program they use to edit these videos is called DaVinci. And so we want to know about all of that. But especially, just giving you a heads up notice, we especially want to see the green screen. Mm. Now most of the students here already know about the green screen. The green screen is a screen that is green. <laughs> Hence the name green screen. Right. Right? Uh -huh. And think of like if there was a screen or a wall behind us that was painted green, then it'd be a green screen. Mm -hmm. And in filming, we use that a lot. Yep. And why a green screen? Well, it's a funny color of green. It's kind of a lime green because there's not hardly anything around that's that color. And so we picked a color that there's nothing like that. And then, we film someone in front of the green screen and it's like, why is that guy standing in front of the, in front of the funny green wall? I know. And the answer is because the wall is all that same funny green. So we tell the computer, every place you see that green, erase it from every picture and replace it with whatever picture we choose. So you can take a person like Mark Rogers and have him record a lesson in front of the green screen and then in the editing we can make the green disappear and we can put in any picture we want. So we can have him up in the Alps, we can have him shopping down in Los Angeles. In fact, if we had Dr. Monet in front of the green screen, we could have her on some alien planet. I should do that. That'd be fun. Just an idea to us. So I think when we do the tour, it would be okay if we had some alien planets, just so we can see how she looks on them. That'd be fun. Yeah. That'd be really fun, except for I went and in there it, it one It could time. be educational. Yeah, and you can't wear anything green on your clothes, I was told. Yeah, if you happen to wear <laughs> an uh, item of clothing that's green, then when we edit it, it just disappears. Not the clothing, I mean everything. And you see, never mind. Well, silly me, but I went it's, down one It's time. just yeah. really, really fascinating. So we're gonna go see the studios. Okay. Can we arrange that? And maybe we can meet some of your amazing 
uh, team down there and see the amazing things we do. Uh, so that's upcoming. Okay, but we've been talking about sound. And we've been understanding that sound is vibrations that we send through the air. And we make the vibrations by pushing air molecules extremely fast, which makes them bump into other molecules and bump, 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 bump. It goes through the, through the room like a sound, and you can hear it clear across the room. It's a sound wave. We found out that if you bump them together very quickly, it makes a high-pitched sound. If you do it slowly, it makes a low-pitched sound. And we talked about our vocal cords, cards, mm -hmm. our vocal cords, mm -hmm. vibrate, our, our vocal cords <laughs> vibrate, and that makes a sound so that we can hear each other. And if we stretch our vocal cords very tight, it makes them vibrate faster. And the tone that we're speaking starts really high. And if we stretch them out real low, then when we talk, we get very low. Would you like to hear a very, very low sound? Yes. Okay, go ahead. No, go. <laughs> I was ready. I Dr. Peget will now demonstrate mm. a very, very low sound. That is solo <laughs> only elephants can hear it. <laughs> That's really good. Thank you. Okay. You can so, go low, though. We also <laughs> talked about these fibers or hairs of glass. It's called a fiber optical fiber. And fiber optics are how we send our broadcasts, all of our data, our lessons to all of our students around the world. And it, some people don't actually realize that you make a strand or a hair of fiber, you put it in a case so it won't get broken, and then you actually bury it underground. And some of these fibers go everywhere and that's how the internet gets around it goes through these little glass fibers why glass why have an optic instead of maybe an electronic signal because glass with a light beam inside it can carry so much information and tonight that's what we're doing we're sending images and sound to you by putting it into light and sending it over fibers. And that's how it scatters all around the world. We have some people watching us, by the way, in many other countries. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Light traveling clear around the world through these little glass fibers. So remember uh, last time we made a beautiful speaker? <laughs> remember? And so we were actually able to take a, an electric signal and make a piece of photo paper vibrate at just the right vibrations to create the sound waves that sound like sharks. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that's that pretty was, neat. It was really it was neat, amazing, wasn't it? actually. And that was just to help us understand all about sound. Well, tonight we're going to go the next step, and I, I promised you this a few weeks ago. We're going to actually learn how we put information on light. And to do that, we need a light source. It has to be a very special source of light where all of the light waves are in sync. And we call that a laser. Okay, and I have a laser here. And the laser shoots out a beam. Now, if you just shoot out a beam of light, there is a light, but there's no uh, information. It doesn't tell you whether or not Dr. Monet's in front of a green screen or actually on an alien planet, you can't tell because it's just a light beam. 
So in order to be able to send information like pictures, like video, like sound over a light beam, we have to modulate it. And the way we can modulate, there are different ways to modulate The way we can modulate it is by turning the light on and off. It's just that simple, light on and off. Only we turn it on and off very fast. So if you look at the image that we're in right now, we actually send this picture that you're seeing. And we send it as a whole bunch of little dots. And for every dot, if it's a, a bright dot, we send the light on. If it's a dark dot, we send it with the light off. And we actually then get into higher resolutions that say the color and the resolution, etc. So we have the laser. If we turn the laser on, you can see the little light in the chamber here. And so a laser beam is created and comes shooting out. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. Laser beam focus, focus. I don't know if you can get it from that angle because that's not the angle it's at. Can you see that? There you go. Maybe you can see it coming through the back of the card. So the laser beam is coming out, hitting the card. And right now, the laser beam is a light beam, but it's not carrying any information. So if we want it to carry information like sound or video, then we have to figure out a way to turn this beam on and off at extremely high frequencies. And we do that with electronics, which are in this laser. And the electronics are here, they're ready, but we need to have a signal to send. Now before we talk about modulating the laser, I want to talk a little bit about the laser itself. Uh, if we can get a close-up on this tube, you can see that inside the laser there is a little glass tube which has a gas in it, a special helium neon gas, which is excited by running a voltage through it and it oscillates the light back and forth here and creates the beam. Um, I want to put in a little plug for your science fair projects. It was my 11th grade science fair project where I got into lasers and I became very interested in them and I, I want to make a laser because I had an idea on how to build a laser amplifier. Uh, but it's fascinating. Uh, things seem so simple. When I first started learning about how lasers work, I thought, oh, I could build one of those. Mm -hmm. And then when you start building it, it starts getting a little more complicated, a little more complicated, a little more complicated, and there's more to learn, there's more to do, and finally, when you get everything right, then you get a laser. Well, this particular one has mirrors on the end. It's a gas that's excited in the tube with mirrors on both ends. And these are very, very special mirrors that are much more reflective than the normal mirrors. And that's what you have to have for a laser. But on my laser, I had to put the mirrors out on the ends, but I couldn't put them inside the chamber because I didn't know how to fasten it. Now they're doing something clever on this one because they've actually got the mirrors fastened right into the chamber. But on mine, I didn't have a way to do that. It would contaminate. So I had to figure out how to have the end of the tube and then the mirrors on the outside. And so I had to put windows in so the light could go through. Except to get the light through the windows, I couldn't use regular glass. I had to use a very special glass, and the glass I used because I did my research, and the literature says that's the glass that works. It's quartz glass. Some of you have seen quartz rock. 
quartz glass is a very clear, special glass when it's, when it's very, very clear. And I found some at a very, very special, scientifically flat surface. So it was just perfect. And now I had to put it on the ends of the tube. And so I decided I would glue it on with a special epoxy. And so I did. But it didn't work. It turned out that the, the glass reflected the light so much. It wasn't supposed to be a mirror, but any kind of a shiny surface like glass is going to reflect some light. It reflected light, and, and so the laser couldn't build up the power it needed to, and I couldn't get a laser. So I went back and did some more work, and that's when I met Brewster. Brewster. You remember Brewster? I don't. Doesn't that sound like a fun person to meet? Like, yeah, yeah, it's my friend Brewster. It does sound like a fun well, person. Well, actually, I never met Brewster, oh. but I read about him. <laughs> because he invented an angle. Oh. Have you ever heard of Brewster's angle? I've heard that. Yeah, well, that's what I'm talking about, <laughs> Brewster's angle. Turns out that if you're going to make a laser and you put two windows, one on each end, made out of quartz glass, little round pieces of quartz glass, and the light hits them, it reflects a lot of light. So how do you stop it from reflecting? And Brewster figured it out. What do you think? What he did is he twisted the angle that he mounted the, the two windows at. And as you change the angle, the amount of light that reflects changes. It changes where it reflects, but it also changes how much reflects. And Brewster came up with a formula. And with his formula, you take the wavelength of the light and calculate exactly what angle for that wavelength would make hardly any light reflect. And so in my laser, it was something like about like this that turned out, according to the calculation, to be Brewster's angle. And so I got the piece of glass I was going to build the laser in, and I took it into a diamond saw, which meant they had little industrial diamonds on the blade, and I set the machine so it was exactly the right angle, and then I cut off the glass. I actually ground it off these little diamonds, and I did both of them. So now I had a piece of glass, and it had angles on the end. And then I turned on the vacuum pump, and hooked it up to the middle of the tube, started pulling the vacuum, and I put the pieces of glass window on, and the vacuum, like a vacuum sweeper, sucked them on. <laughs> there they were. They were mounted. And they were perfectly at Brewster's angle. Then while there was a vacuum holding them on tight, I mixed up some special epoxy and put it around the outside so that when the vacuum went away, it would still hang on. And yes, I used a very special type of epoxy, which I had read about, that had the property of not contaminating the uh, gas inside the laser. And it worked. So there's the point. It seems like for almost every experiment, you get so close, and then it doesn't work. And it doesn't work because there's some little thing you didn't know about, you didn't know to do. That's why. You want to get started on your science project early because you're going to need to have some time to solve the problems that always come along. You can just count on it, okay? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, don't be a problem. Okay, I'll okay. work on that. All right, let's get back on this. So, 
the thing we've got here is a real nice beam of light coming out of this laser. I didn't build this when I bought it, but boy, it sure works. And I'm shooting that beam of light over to this box. And this box is neat because it has an amplifier and a speaker. Okay. And I'm going to turn on the speaker so you can hear it. And as you can tell, it's coming through there loud. Okay, it's not working. Mm -mm. Because we have to get some sound on this light. And in order to do that, we're going to have Dr. Monet play. Can you play the Little Shark song for oh. me? Mm -hmm. The Little Shark song goes into the electronics here. It gets amplified and then it's put into the laser where it's going to actually turn the laser on and off at just the right amount to send what part of the song's playing in that sound. And then we're gonna pick it up over here, hopefully. Okay? okay? Mm -hmm. So let's just give this a try now. Got a microphone. Good. You doing it? Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Wow. Now, if this is really working, okay, Daddy, be quiet. Too loud. Okay, Grandma, we're up to Grandma now. If this is coming over the light beam, if I stick this card in the way, what should happen? No, that's so cool. That's amazing. Now, if I move this box a little bit, it goes off because there's a little light sensor there. And if it's going to get picked up, it's got to be right on. All right, now let's think what's happening here. So, we could now take this light beam put it into one of those little glass fibers, run downstairs, go out in the trench. You know, we've been hooking up a brand new fiber cable these past two weeks. There's a company that we hired and said, please give us some more fiber. Mm -hmm. So they took a bundle. John, how many fibers? 144. 144 strands of glass in it. It's about yay big around. And they buried a trench from our building here clear down to our other building. And that's so if something goes cranky with the internet and it stops working and we have students working but we can't talk through the internet to the other building, we can go through our own fiber to make sure that every single problem, every test you take, you get copied on that data center too so we never lose your records. So every time you get a question right on a Cellus, we write it down in our data center and in our second data center and our third data center and our fourth data center. So you always get credit for that. Now, if you miss it, we don't write it down. <laughs> <laughs> actually, We're so nice. We kind of do that, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we kind of need to do that. Speaking about writing it down for a minute, uh, we had a visitor today from the uh, military. And he was actually a military recruiter. He's one of the people that helps uh, people that want to join the military. 
And when you get ready to join the military, one of the things you have to do is you have to take an exam and pass a test. What do they call that test? The ASVAB. The ASVAB test. ASVAB. It's probably an, an acronym. Yep. Yeah, probably. probably you know what it stands for? I don't either. <laughs> anyway, you have to take it. If you do well on that test, then you get to do all the really neat things in the military. If you don't do well on that, then maybe you get to do things like dig ditches or something. So you want to do real well. And he said that they have been giving that test to different people that have studied at Asalas Academy. Really? And he says they're scoring really high, really high. Wow. And he just wanted to come by and see how we're doing it. Well, it is fascinating. The ability to score high on an exam means that our students are mastering the material. And that's so exciting to me. Now, some will go into the military, some students will go on to college, some students will just start their own business, you know, like Steve Jobs or someone. Mm -hmm. But whatever they decide to do, that knowledge is like power. And it's thrilling to hear that Acellus Academy students are excelling. Uh, we also have been doing a special study now where we're comparing the scholastic results from our Salus Academy students with students from other schools throughout the nation. And you guys are doing really well, scoring very high. So I'm very proud of you. Okay, now back to the Do you want to, to know laser. what it stands for? Well, yeah, I want to know. What, what does it stand for? It stands for Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. Just like I thought. <laughs> An acronym. <laughs> okay, but it is interesting that the ability to take a test, especially if it's a really carefully worked out test, like I'm sure this is, mm -hmm. is a measure of how much knowledge you have. And the knowledge that you have is what empowers you to do things in your lifetime, and that's exciting. Now. We have uh, some students that are with us for probably about the first time. We have other students that just keep coming back every week. Yeah. And over these past months and even years, we've been doing this, how long have we been doing it now? A couple years? years? A few years. We talk about a lot of things like modulating lasers, making a speaker, hydrogen energy. We've talked about a lot of different things. And the knowledge that we're sharing with you is knowledge that is usable. It's the kind of knowledge that empowers you to do things. And here we are today, we're shooting a laser beam onto my business card. Boy, burn, I don't want to burn my name off there. Actually, this laser doesn't have enough power to hurt my name, thank you. <laughs> but we're, we're actually understanding how this all works. And some people are, are scratching their heads and saying, really, there's little light beams going down under the sidewalk, under the road, and down the street? And we've got a wad of 144 of them. Wad? And they're going a wad. A wad. That's, like a, that. that's no. a wad of glass. A wad of glass. And it's, it's carrying all those different light beams down there. We only need one pair of beams to do everything we're doing in Acellus right now, we're putting in 144. It means we can really grow. And that's exactly what we intend to do. But the whole internet now basically is carried around 
by fiber. And sometimes the, the last distance to your house, they may go over copper or something, but a lot of houses are getting fiber to them. And these fiber light beams can carry a lot of information. Did you know now that they make these little light modules that send data over fiber in different colors? I didn't know that. So this one's kind of an orange red. Uh -huh. But if, if you had a fiber that went clear across the ocean, like from America to Europe, that'd be a pretty long fiber. And if you decided, you know what, I want to send twice as much information, let's go run another fiber. Can you think how hard that would be? You'd have to get boats, you'd have, it, you could do it, but it's very expensive. So someone said, couldn't we use a fiber, I mean, couldn't we use a double? Couldn't we send one red light through and one green light through, and then it'd be like having two fibers? And so scientist says, yes and you can do blue. And so they have like four and even five different beams, different colors going through the same fiber. And when they get to the other side of the ocean, what do they do? They come out and they hit a prism. What happens to sunlight when it hits a prism? It sprays out beautiful colors. All of those colors are in the white sunlight coming down. But when it hits the prism, it spreads them out by color and separates them. So you can see the red, the blue, right? That's what they do with these. They separate the colors out of the fiber, and then they send them all into different computers. And so with one fiber, we get five. Can you imagine how much that invention was worth? Now, the company that I am familiar with that does, does that, and there may be others, but the one I'm familiar with is a company over in Israel. And they developed a product to send these multiple colors over one fiber. And so they took all the fiber in the world and made it like it was five times as much fiber. And I think that's really interesting. The other thing we've been doing is we started sending the data over the same fiber faster. It's just light beam, but if we could turn the light beam on and off faster, then we would be able to send a lot more data. Uh, in our equipment, we're now sending data over a fiber 100 billion bits or numbers of data per second. 100 billion. That's a lot of data. It's really cooking. So there's a lot of opportunities in communications and networking and cybersecurity, and that's one of the reasons that we're doing our STEM courses. Uh, I notice a lot of students are doing STEM, and uh, we have a, a Java course. It's a good course. Uh, a lot of students get into that Java course, and they think, whoa, I don't get it. It's, it's like Greek to a lot of our students. It's just they're not ready for it. And that's the, the amazing thing. Uh, as a society, we've kind of waited till people are in high school to start teaching them STEM science and technology stuff, and that's too late. So now our STEM program is designed to start in the third grade, and people start learning about block coding in the third grade, right when they're really learning how to read good. Can you imagine what they're gonna be ready for by high school? And can you imagine when they graduate from high school what they're gonna be ready for? Uh, 
I'll tell you something about our colleges and universities. Our colleges and universities are capable of teaching electronics and science at a much more advanced level than they teach. Mm -hmm. And I hear the complaint from the university so often, we want to teach the really advanced stuff that really empowers people. But we can't mm -hmm. because the kids aren't ready. So instead, in college, we have to teach what they should have learned in high school. And see, that's a real shame. If we really want to be able to do great things, we want to get people ahead of this technology thing. We live in a technological world. To really succeed in this world, you have to learn technology. Almost, if, if you want to turn on the microwave and warm up a cup of soup, you have to know coding. It's just amazing. And so these technologies are very important. And if you're not used to these things, you don't know the vocabulary, it is so strange. It seems like Greek. And there are a lot of, of ladies that say, you know, I struggle with the science stuff. I'm not as good as some of the boys. And what we've learned here is that's just not true. Uh, a lot of guys got interested in the early. Well, ladies were doing some other things, and then they get behind. But if you just give them a chance, they catch right up. And we're graduating a lot of scientists, engineers, programmers that are ladies and are guys. And, and so I recommend all of you that are in the third grade or above, if you haven't started STEM, do it. You'll be very, very grateful. And it does not matter what field you go into. Uh, this new coding technology, how computers work, how to make them work for you, it applies to everybody. You say, well, it won't apply to me because I'm going to be a chef. I'm going to cook food. I don't need to learn about computers. Is that true? No, that's not true. Why isn't it true? Because you have to be able to program everything like you said. But there are a lot of things within the culinary department that you have to know how they work and how to work with them together. Yeah. One of the students at the International Academy of Science was a, was a very creative person. And um, he was interested in, in cooking. And when you cook, you know, you get a formula. Only when cooks make a formula, they don't call it a formula, they call it a recipe. <laughs> I think that may be some big French word or something. A recipe. Recipe. CPU. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so he was very interested in cooking, and he really liked computers. And so he put together a cookbook. Okay, and with a computer, he wanted to make it a special cookbook, so he started collecting recipes from everybody off the internet. Wherever he could find a recipe, he would collect it. And pretty soon, he had one recipe in his collection, more than a million. He had a million and one recipes. Now, this was a few years ago when the internet wasn't as prevalent as it is today, and we, we would do a lot of things with CDs, CD-ROMs, remember a disk that would store data? So he took his million and one recipes and put it onto a CD disk. And then you know what he did with it? He took it to McDonald's. You probably think he went to buy ingredients to cook. No. He took it to McDonald's and said, you should sell this. 
And they did. At McDonald's? No, I meant Walmart. Oh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just curious, actually. Well, McDonald's. Sometimes I go too fast for her. That's <laughs> trying to process it all. Okay, McDonald's, Walmart. Well, they probably what? should have sold it, actually. The W upside down is the. You know what? That's a German. You're right. You are okay. absolutely no, right. No, it's actually a true and an amazing story. Yeah. He took his disc to Walmart, okay. and he sold it to them, and they put it in the store, and it was called A Million and One Recipes, mm. and he sold it for several, several, several years, and he sold over a million copies, or yes. Walmart did. He sold it to them, and he actually made himself a tidy sum of money. Mm. Now, he's a pretty enterprising fellow, and he had to work very hard to do that. But uh, it shows what you can do if you learn about these technologies, even if the thing you're interested in is cooking. Mm -hmm. So STEM is important for everybody. And these technology things you ought to do. And they seem hard, but it's only because you've got to kind of get into it. Uh, when we came out with the Billings computer way back in 1976, trying to get people to understand that you could actually type a letter on it and you could do email. It was just so hard for people to understand and to train them because it was all so new. And now, who doesn't know how to run a cell phone? That's true. Very, very small children. It seems like when they're born, they already they, they come down <laughs> cell phone ready. <laughs> they, they do. It's really an amazing It's an exciting world we live in. Yes. And there are so many opportunities for innovation and invention and it seems like the opportunities are exploding so there's more every day. I think that's a wonderful reason to study hard. I think it's a wonderful reason to take STEM courses, and I really encourage it. Now, I want to get back to where we started. So there is a light beam on here, and hopefully we can see that coming through. Can you see a little light beam mm -hmm. in my card? Okay, that's good. And now I'm going to turn this back on. And now if you'll send some music, she's going to do it. Be patient. Work with her. You hear that? She turned it off. I did. She's a tease. Sounds like my sound's not quite as good. Sound over life. It's exciting. I want to hear about Grandpa Shark. Listen. Maybe someday they'll do Peugeot Shark. They have to be a pretty shark. Sharks are pretty. All right. Well, thank you. That's all for today. We'll look forward to seeing you again next week.
thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Have a great one.